0: Hello and welcome to episode one of the Logic Behind the Lighting podcast. First, the big news for me, I think I found some music. I didn't even think about this stuff available in the public domain, so here we go. You ready? How's this? Nope, not really. I mean, I admit that it's not going to be easy to find music with a lighting or movie theme from 1924 and prior. I don't know, maybe by the end I'll find what I'm looking for and go back and re-edit all these episodes to include it. Or maybe not, I'm leaning toward option two, I admit that. And again, this goes back to my efficient-slash-lazy persona. Anyway, let's press on. Today I wanted to talk to you about the lens of the camera. This doesn't necessarily relate to anything directly, lighting-wise, but I think it's a good base, uh, and it's a good, a good, good place to start. Because a good understanding of the lens, the thing that takes in the media, I think that's handy. And it's a bit of a jumping off point for things I want to talk about and bring up bring up in the future. And I know that if there are any camera people listening, this may seem kind of obvious, but you know, try to avoid spoilers. So let's talk about the lens. Specifically, I want to talk about how the lens controls light. Now, I'm kind of struggling with where to start this, so I'm going to start, I'm going to begin at the back, at the film plane, or the sensor, or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really matter. It's uh, the item in the camera that records the image. And I think that right now, a good 95% of projects are being shot on video. So I'm going to use the word sensor to talk about it. But again, if you're talking about shooting film, it's the same concept, but there's film taking the image, a film plane, a, a, a cell, a single area of the film takes the image and prints it on that as opposed to its sensor. Same thing, makes sense, right? You get it? Okay, so the sensor and the camera are kind of used interchangeably in this modern era in video, but what's important about them for our purposes is how they're rated. So let's talk about rating for a little while. A higher rating means a higher sensibility, uh, higher sense of light gathering, a higher sensitivity uh, to light gathering. Uh, For example, a camera that's been rated at 1,000 needs a lot less light than something that's rated at 100. I I can't give you the specific reasons why these numbers exist. Let's just take it at face value. Just accept the fact that 1,000 means you need less light than 100. Uh, Granted, most of the cameras today are rated at about 800 ASA. And uh, don't ask me specifically what ASA stands for because that's a whole bunch of words and a concept that, that kind of blur together. I'm going to go ahead and put the Wikipedia link on the website so you can look at it there if you want. But it doesn't do anything for us here. It's just a name. Call it Tom. Call it Bobby Joe. Call it ASA. Suffice it to say that a higher rating means you can see more and more with less and less light. There is a flip side to that it means that it, it takes a lot more work to deal with the brighter lights. I don't know if this is making any sense. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Um, let's talk about the sensor again. Okay, The sensor can take X amount of light. Now that X changes on a camera by camera basis depending on the rating. and. X is more of a range than a specific number. Let's let's use a hypothetical. Let's say that the camera we're u- using on a show is rated at 800. That means that the X of the sensor is in the 10 to 100 range. Um, again, hypothetical numbers. Don't write them down. They don't mean anything. I'm just using random numbers. There's a sense of uh, placeholders uh anyway, so the 800 camera is great for being indoors at a bar for example. Uh, it's it's good for this indoor bar scene that we're shooting because you can pick up a lot of low light situations. you can see into the corners you can see the people playing pool under a single light bulb. you can see the guy sitting at the bar illuminated by a glow, etc etc. 800 speed 800 speed camera great for these kind of things that's that's one of the big advantages to this modern era that we live in but, What about when we go outside? Let's just say that this bar scene was shot during the day. Our hero uh, has a couple of drinks before going out to a lunch meeting. Okay, so he leaves the room and he walks out of this dimly lit bar into the outside. And now the sun is a hell of a lot brighter, right? So this is where we get into trouble. It's going to provide our lens with 1,000 units. Remember, our lenses, our, our X on the sensor was good for 10 to 100, well, suddenly the sun is providing 1,000. Uh, and if we let that play through, if we don't do anything to the lens, the sensor's gonna get too much light and our image is gonna look like crap. Um, that's just the way it is. It gets all blown out, gets all white, you can't see a damn thing. But, as we know, the lens can control the amount of light hitting the sensor by using the iris. The iris is a bunch of leaves that close in a circular pattern, allowing the image, the image to get through but modulating the amount of light that will hit the sensor. Um, And again, this is a perfect time to go to the uh, electricandgrip.com website so you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, You can see what the iris looks like in uh, various configuration or various uh, levels of closing. Uh, between a 2, a, a 4, a 5, 6, 11, 32, it should all be there. You'll see it get smaller and smaller. It's a mathematical number. It's a mathematical equation so that each stop, the 2, two eight, lets in half the light. We'll get more about this later. Uh, anyway, that iris uh, that's inside the lens controls how much light is going to hit the sensor, which is great. If we have too much light, we just close the iris, right? But there's a catch because there's always a catch. So we go, we're inside and we're shooting wide open because we're at our um, 800-speed camera with our low lighting. We walk outside, and all of a sudden the sunlight's hitting us. Stop it down. Problem solved, right? Same camera. Everything's fine. Just close the iris. And this is where the catch comes in. Uh, First and foremost, there's depth of field to consider. Here's the deal. Depth of field is the area that appears to be in focus when you see the image through the lens. Uh, And the sensor, or the film plane, sees the image through the lens okay? Um, and to be honest, in all lenses, what is actually in focus is a very small point. It's the same with an eyeball. What you see is not specifically, everything is obviously not in focus. When you look up, when you look out at the world, not everything is in focus, but it seems to be. Uh, it's, it's, it's more prevalent in lenses. Uh, let me see if I can explain this. If the focus of the lens is set at 10 feet, Okay. You've seen the little demarcation numbers on the side of the lens. If the uh, AC sets the lens to focus being at 10 feet, then what's 10 feet in front of the sensor is going to be in focus. Um, That's that's the one thing that's truly in focus is what's 10 feet away. The thing about it is that the area around it appears to be in focus as well. It's called circle of confusion. What we think is in focus because it's close enough. It's a drop-off. It's not an immediate. This is in focus and this is not. It's a generally smooth drop-off, um, depending on the lens. For example, wider lenses have a bigger circle of confusion than longer lenses. Uh, a 17-millimeter lens is going to make it look like everything is in focus, right? While a 100-millimeter lens has a more defined area that is sharp, only three inches will seem in focus if you set it at 10 feet. In other words, um, 10. if you set your 100-millimeter lens at a focus of 10 feet, everything from 9 feet 10 inches and a half to 10 feet, one and a half inches, will be in will will appear in focus, and then it will it'll look soft from there on. I guess what I'm trying to say is depth of field is not consistent, and it's not consistent depending on the lens. But there are uh, there is another variable that it has a big factor, and this is what we're talking about. If you add the amount of light, if you factor that in, that variable, um, the amount of light you're dealing with, it changes the depth of field. The more light you have the more closed down the lens gets, and the more depth of field you have. So let's go back to our sunlight example. Using the same 100 millimeter lens, but with the iris closed down really far to control the amount of light hitting the sensor, suddenly we don't have three inches of circle in our circle of confusion. We have five and a half feet that appears to be in focus. And, I mean, sure, the, uh, the first AC will probably thank us for making their job easier. Uh, it may not be what we're looking for for the project, because maybe it doesn't look right. let me take a step back. Let me, I'm sure you've already seen this before. I'm sure you already know about this, but let me just take a step back just on the off chance. It's a little unclear. Um, this concept, it'll, it'll make more sense in a second. Uh, I'm assuming the odds are you have an iPhone. If you don't, you've got some sort of smartphone iteration. I just know that with the iPhone you have the portrait mode. If you take a normal selfie with the iPhone, everything's in focus and that's a look and that's fine. Uh, put it in portrait mode, and everything aside from the main object kind of fades into a fuzzy mess. It pops the subject from the background, and I'm going to talk about this more again in other episodes. But here's the thing: we work with a two-dimensional medium, and we want to make we want to make it look 3D. Uh, let's couple that with wanting to have certain things stand out in the frame. So sometimes things being out of focus is our friend. The fuzzy background can add depth to the image. It brings our hero out from the grove of, t- grove of trees behind them. Um, it separates the subject we want to look at from the chair it's sitting on or the table behind it, or it makes the, uh, the particular item in the grocery aisle stand out versus all the other items that are behind it on the same shelf. So sometimes a lot of depth of field is not our friend. Don't get me wrong. They can look good for certain projects and it adds to the look. Uh, Citizen Kane. It's considered by, well, I mean, I'll... A lot of people that it's a quality movie with great imagery it's, it's constantly voted number one on all the lists whatever my suggestion don't see it multiple times because it gets worse every time you do another story entirely um, but one of the things that's talked about is the photography of the movie that movie is a great example of deep focus there, there's an example on the website there's there's a film clip on the website and if you go watch that you'll see exactly what I'm talking about you can see the boy playing through the window, outside, while in the foreground, mom's talking to the guys. Uh, Which is great. That's a look. Also on the website, there's an example of shallow depth of field, uh, something that makes the subject pop from the background. And I'm going to talk about this more in another episode, but suffice it to say that you don't always want everything in focus outside, and only a couple things in focus when you're inside. Thematically, it may not work for the show. Okay, So there are other options for controlling the amount of light getting to the lens. That's one of the places filtration comes in. Typically, DPs will put glass in front of the lens to attenuate the way the light is going to hit the sensor. Maybe some some uh, diffusion to take the rough edges off a subject. Or a uh, color to change the look slightly. More on that and non. But most important to our conversation is the NDs they put in front of the lens. The NDs. Letter N, letter D. It typically comes in multiples of three because each three is worth one stop, it's actually 0.3, but each three, so if you put an N3, it's one stop. One stop of difference is, let's go back to our sun example, okay? So uh, if we take our meter out and we're reading 100 units of sunlight going uh, at the lens, okay? Put an ND3 in and that'll cut it in half. So there's only 500 units of sunlight hitting the, the sensor. Want to cut it again? make it an N6, there's only 250 units of this light hitting the sensor. It's tricky because it, it's exponential and the math is weird. But the good news is you don't have to know the math. Just to understand what it does, you're ahead of the curve. Now, um, on that note, going back to the depth of field thing, one part of the problems with video is that it's not as organic as film. I know it sounds like I'm jumping around, but I think this follows naturally. Um, So video is not as organic as film. And one of the reasons is the depth problem. Oftentimes with deep focus, like in Citizen Kane examples, uh, one thing that happens is it tips its hat to being a two-dimensional medium. It flattens out the image, nothing pops. And video used to be excruciatingly quick to flatten flatten out an image. Uh, You'd look at it and nothing stood out. It was clearly a two-dimensional medium. It looked like ass. Um, one workaround that people have for video is to introduce a shallower depth of field. that's where ND comes in. They make the iris open up more and they throw things out of focus. More like your eye will. If you bring something close to your eye, the rest of the world goes soft, right? If you bring so- if, if you hold your hand close to your eye and you focus on your fingers, then you'll notice that the world behind it is all fuzzy, just like it does with film. That makes sense, right? In any case, in, sorry, in any case, ND glass means you don't have to close the iris of the lens down as much. So, in our example of the bar inside versus the outside in the sun, if you put the right amount of ND in front of the lens, you can make the iris of the lens be open the same amount for both locations. And that will make your images consistent as far as focus goes. There are other things that will make it consistent, don't get me wrong, but again, that's for another day. If you're trying to do a show, that has that shallow depth of field look where a lot of things are fuzzy and a lot of things pop out, ND will allow you to go from inside your bar where your hero is having his pre-lunch drink to the outside scene in the middle of the day when he's fumbling with his keys. You see. You see what I'm saying. The focus will be consistent. It won't be a drastically different look in that area. But there are problems with shallow depth of field. Everything has a catch. The problem with the shallow depth of field, and this is where the first AC comes into play, their job is to keep everything in focus, right? So sometimes it's a bit of a struggle between the DP and the AC. The DP is trying to keep the lens iris as wide open as possible to have that soft focus on the things that aren't important, to make the subject we care about pop. And the AC is trying desperately to keep those important things in focus. So when the camera starts moving, and the actors start moving and you've got 3 inches of depth of field, 3 inches that are sharp their job the ac's job is to keep what we want to look in focus, right? They'll probably take as much depth of field as they can get their grubby little hands on and why not? Why not have a little ability to have a little bit of wiggle room? Why not have the knowledge that 5 feet of stuff is going to be in sharp is going to be in focus as opposed to only a couple of inches? and sometimes the DP will acquiesce. And you may have seen this on set or heard it. We have to go again, the AC is circling a bit, so I'm going to give them a little extra stop. That usually translates to mean that the DP is pulling some ND out from in front of the lens, and compensating for it by closing the iris the complementary amount, which in turn increases the depth of field which which makes it a little easier for the first AC to keep the important stuff sharp. Does that make sense? Anyway. That's the first thing I want to talk about. I don't know if a basic understanding of the lens and how light affects depth of field will help, but it's a building block. Everything that goes on the screen at the end of the project has to come through the lens at some point, right? So it's not bad to have an understanding of certain aspects of it. There are many more things about the lens, though. In fact, in the next episode, field of view is going to pick up where this is leaving off. But since field of view affects lighting as much as lenses, well, that's why it's going to be its own separate entity as opposed to trying to force it in here today. And I think that this is as good a place as any to end this episode. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate. Send me an email. As a matter of fact, go check out the website. See the the things that are linked to this. And if you're there and you're bored, go ahead and click on it. Dave at electricandgrip.com. Remember that's spelled and a A-N-D and not the ampersand. I hope this helped a little. And I will be back in the next episode. Thank you. Have a great day. Do good things. Uh, This is Dave McLean. And goodbye from the Logic Behind the Lighting podcast. Premium, premium, but she had bad hair. Nope, uh, that music doesn't work as an outro either. Okay, hopefully I'll find uh, something for the next episode. Wish me luck.